0: Valley is the ham that feeds LA.
1: The mission for Los Angeles is in the valley.
0: Hello, everybody. This is Aiden Frank.
2: And this is Rebecca Gross, and we are your co-hosts of Valleyland.
0: This is episode two. We made it.
2: Yes, it's very exciting. Last time you heard us talk to uh, some cool people of the valley, but this time we are talking about some things that are less cool, actually rather hot.
0: We're talking, we're talking fires. We're talking droughts. We're talking heat waves. Um, we're talking everything really related to the climate of Southern California and uh, a little bit related to the rest of the state in general.
2: Did you know that the valley is like 10 degrees hotter than other places in L.A.? I think I, that's I crazy. Did.
0: I did. I'm, I feel
2: it for sure.
0: <laughs> I always kind of, I feel like that's a little badge of honor of like, it gets, gets to 115 in the valley in the, during the summer as opposed to 105.
2: Exactly. We, we really, no, we really are the tough ones yeah. in L.A.
0: Yeah, it's like living back east in the snow. It's like that thing.
2: Yes, but the opposite. Exactly. Yes. So we are going to give a little background on the drought, and then we're also going to get into the history of fires and how that relates to the most recent fire, the Woolsey Fire, which was huge and really destructive. So uh, we're going to be talking about that, talking to a couple people who can help explain that to us. So Aiden, who did you talk to this week?
0: Okay, so... Uh, I talked to a good friend of mine. His name is Alexi Shudo, kind of like a big brother figure to me. I'm an only child, uh, but I've known Alexi most of my life now. And Alexi's cousin uh, lives in Agora Hills. He lives in the very rural part of Agora Hills. And Agora Hills, a lot of it got destroyed uh, by the Woolsey fire. And a lot of people were evacuated, but some people decided to stay back and defend their homes with whatever they had. And that's what Alexi did with his cousin. They li- very literally fought a wildfire with garden hoses and shovels. So I talked to Alexi, and I got his story about the whole thing and what it was really like to be in that sort of chaos. You know, he was his own firefighter until they got there.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing to hear What he did, which you guys will be hearing later. But before that, I had a chance to talk with Gary Thornton, who is the lead researcher and content creator at LA Almanac. Him and his wife do it together. She runs the business side of things. But before he did that, before he was doing all the content creation... He was actually the uh, a research analyst for the federal government in L.A., so he really knows what he's talking about. And he gives some background about the drought and the history of water in uh, L.A. and the San Fernando Valley specifically, which is pretty wild because we actually live in a desert.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to hear this interview.
2: Yeah, it's going to be rad. So stay tuned. First up is Gary, and then Alexi. I'm excited.
0: Enjoy, you guys.
2: So, I guess to start off, can you tell me a little bit about what LA Almanac is and how it got started?
3: Well, LA Almanac is an online reference uh, source that... uh uh, focuses on Los Angeles and Los Angeles County. We've been online for uh, 20 years, and I, I, it, we got started. Uh, basically, I, I, was looking for information about uh, uh, for the work I was doing at the time about the, the L.A. Harbor, and I kept thinking, "Boy, oh, I wish I had an almanac." Yeah, <laughs> and I kept saying that over and over again. And and I it just I eventually just said well maybe I should just start one, and uh, initially uh, uh, we started with a we were going to shoot to do a a, a a book version of a Los Angeles Almanac, mm-hmm. but but the uh, website did so well that we just stuck with that.
2: And it I mean seems twenty years later that the online resource is better than a book could have even been you know because you can always update it and people are more and more switching to digital now, so that seems to work great.
3: Absolutely.
2: You said to me briefly in an email that the company is basically you and your wife, um, and you run most of the content for the site and she does the business?
3: Yes. uh, I do all the research, writing, uh, graphics, photography, maps, uh, and my wife takes care of the business side, so we're a great team.
2: That's awesome. What's your background in research?
3: Well, I was a researcher for the federal government
2: mm, okay. and
3: uh, for the Department of Treasury. and that so so I was a professional researcher to begin with, and I was doing a project uh, regarding uh, uh, imports and exports and and that's how i I got into this.
2: Awesome, very cool. So, what type of things do you cover on LA Almanac? I noticed that there was a huge variety of different subjects and um, different types of things that are covered. So how do you decide what you cover and what is currently being covered right now?
3: Well, I cover all the the traditional areas covered by general purpose almanacs,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, weather, demographics, uh, politics, history. Uh, we, we have a, a large history component, uh, religion, uh, geography, uh, just the works.
2: Totally. Um, yeah, about
3: 36 different topics, actually.
2: Wow, that's a huge undertaking.
3: Yes. <laughs> I, I call it my 900 pound gorilla. <laughs> I love
2: that. Yeah, it, it definitely feels that way. But it's awesome that you keep it up and keep it updating and everything. So you you said that you're working on some history projects when it comes to LA's history of water, and you said that you have a very large history section. What does LA's history with drought and wildfires look like? I mean, we just obviously experienced one of the worst wildfires in our history. Does that show historically that that's been building up to this, or is that more kind of a wild card?
3: Well, uh, as, as far as droughts, LA is a, a Mediterranean climate, so. We have long periods of dryness, uh, but uh, in fact, uh, regarding a drought, I, I read somewhere that uh, in a very distant past, uh, the LA region had experienced what was believed an eighty-year drought. Wow! At, at <laughs> one point, uh, which I, I hope we're not beginning another one of those.
2: But, so, when uh, when was that? That was.
3: You know, I I wish I could tell you that off the top of my head. Oh, that's okay. uh, It was distant history long before any of us were here.
2: Right, okay. So, yeah, so it does seem that things are starting to head that direction, I guess, a little bit, but hopefully it's not that bad.
3: Yeah, well, you you know, over the last, uh, since L.A. has been keeping weather records since 1877, uh, we've averaged about uh, almost 15 inches of rain Mm -hmm. each year. Mm -hmm. And and uh, uh, we've done we've been pretty close to that each decade, except the last 10 years. Uh, OK, this this last uh, decade is shaping up probably to be the driest period since uh, the 1870s. Hmm.
2: Uh,
3: uh, If if the trend continues, it looks like uh, we may have uh, average only uh, less than 11 inches of rain a year, which which. Basically, that's a record, at least right. since 1877. Um, as far as the impact on on fires, uh, LA has always experienced fires, at least you know in, in recorded history, uh,
2: mostly man-made, right, as, as it is today. Yeah. Um, but uh,
3: uh, and and that's that's not unusual for this area because we are. We are pretty dry here. We have a lot of fuel, a lot of, you know, vegetation. So so the fires can become quite big. Um, uh, but with, with this long period of dryness that we've ex- been experiencing in the last 10 years, that just makes things worse.
2: Right. Um, and what part, if you, you know, if you've done some research on this, what part do you think the valley has played in that? I know that the valley in the initiation of L.A. played a huge role in getting water here and making it accessible to Angelinos, But um, does the valley still play a role in, in how much water is being used and how dry the climate is? And, um, I mean, you know, the valley was closer to these fires. So do you, do you have any kind of experience researching that?
3: Well, the, the valley itself, you know, initially uh, uh, in L.A. history, the valley was, was primarily farmland. Right. And, and, but, but it was still very dry. And as a result uh, of that, uh, when, when Mulholland brought the LA aqueduct, uh, into the Valley, um, it, it was a way for the city of LA to say, Hey, look, uh, you guys need water. Um, and we need, uh, um, more, uh, uh, city territory. So why don't you just join with the city of LA? Right. And, and, uh, so most of the valley, there were a few towns uh, in the valley at the time, and, and they were in desperate need of water. And, and here it was. Here in 1913, Mulholland said, there it is. Take it. Um, he was bringing water from outside of town. He was quite a visionary. Uh, it, it, because of him, um, L.A. is as big as it is today. I really say that. Uh, but the valley itself was, was in desperate need of water. Um, mm-hmm. it, it tends to be a bit warmer and right. drier in the valley, mm-hmm. and uh, so so the valley is now part of the city. Most of it is part of the city of L.A. as, as a result, uh, as a result of that L.A. Aqueduct.
2: Yeah, and I've I've done some you know just brief reading on on William Mulholland, and um, there's there's this funny show called Drunk History. I don't know if you've heard uh-huh. of it, but <laughs> yes, I have. It's very, so there's an episode about William Mulholland, and you know, they make it really comical, and, and Jack Black's in it, and it's it's really great. But, you know, the way that they depict William Mulholland was kind of almost scheming, like, well, I'm going to bring water here, and I'm going to give it to the valley, and then everyone's going to move here, and I'm going to make a lot of money. <laughs> so it's it's interesting, because to me, that sort of seems as indicative that um, L.A. never was meant to be a place where this many people lived. You know, there's so many people here in such a dry climate. it seems like things like this are are bound to happen in a way,
3: yeah, it, it actually, in its natural form, the l a base can can said to be able to sustain with its average rainfall about five million people, okay? Well well, we have we have ten million people right in l a county. And, and that's why I say Mulholland, for for whatever faults you may have had. He was a visionary. He he saw that L.A. could be a lot larger than it naturally uh, could be. Right. Uh, and 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 in his day, L.A. had was only about the entire county only had about half a million people. Uh, so, which is just slightly larger than the city of Long Beach today.
2: Right. Uh, so that's unbelievable. So it's it's definitely grown, and I guess the question then becomes less of where did the water go, and more of well. All these people are, you know, there's not enough water to sustain all these people. Right. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's, that's crazy to think about um, sort of what's sustainable here and, and maybe why that's kind of making things how they are. Is there, do you think that there's anything in your research that you found that shows like, you know, what Angelinos could do um, between like, you know, shorter showers or, watering their lawns less. I mean, I know these are all classic solutions, but, um, yeah.
3: Well, looking forward, um, if the trend continues and we continue to have drier, uh, uh, rain seasons, um, we are going to have to do something to conserve water. Um, we're bringing in about as much water as we possibly can. I mean, I mean, you know, we can, we can innovate and, you know, convert seawater mm-hmm. uh, into, into usable water. But, but, uh, you know, that uh, with the technology and science that we have today, you know, that, that can only bring in so much water. We're going to have to, to look forward like Mulholland did and, and say we're, we're going to have to find some way to, to be able to provide water for 10 plus million people. Uh, going going forward uh, when when it seems the supplies of water, it, it is dwindling. Right. So, it, yes, uh, if that means shorter showers, uh, uh, then that's what we're going to have to do. In fact, I was just thinking uh, last night about uh, uh, there was a city in, in South Africa. It was
2: it Cape Town that, I'm, I'm that not was sure. basically facing day zero as yeah. far as uh, water.
3: Uh, L.A. could potentially be there someday.
2: Right. Where does L.A. get most of their water from now?
3: L.A.? Uh, most, most of our water uh, comes from uh, the Owens Valley and the Colorado.
2: Okay, so it's still coming from there.
3: It, it's the, most of our water is coming from outside
2: our mm-hmm. region. Yeah, so either either there needs to be a miracle to bring more water in or we have to get creative. We, we,
3: we may need another type of mahala. Mm-hmm. To to come in and be innovative and figure out a way to uh, to provide water for this region. We we need a, a new Mulholland.
2: Thank you, Gary, for taking the time to chat with us about the history of droughts and um, all of the conditions that have led up to where we're at right now with the present situation just after the fires, Um, talking about Mulholland, the history of water. It's fascinating to hear how we've gotten to this place. And we're about to hear more about the current situation from Alexi. So, Aiden, tell us a little bit first about how fires in the valley have led up to this and just California's climate, everything about that.
0: Yeah. So I think it kind of starts with the history, uh, which you went over with, uh, with Gary about the California climate. And Alexi and I talk about the fires down here in, uh, in particular, but there were fires all over the state of California this year. And it was the most destructive year of forest fires, of wildfires in the state. And what I think is so surprising, it's not surprising. It's, I don't know, uh, it's amazing how, you know, this year in particular for a lot of things is marking the, really what is the middle of climate change around the globe. These are the noticeable things. We have fires every year. We have floods every year. We have tornadoes, hurricanes, all these type of different weather disasters, but this year has been the most destructive. And uh, in California, which is the fifth most successful economy in the world, it's remarkable to see, you know, how much can get destroyed by fires. And I'll mention all the statistics with Alexi, but it is, it's outstanding.
2: That's so true. And it's also nearly impossible to not know someone that's been affected by climate change. You know, up in paradise, hundreds of people died from the fires. Luckily down here, that wasn't the case. But I know plenty of people who evacuated a couple people who lost their homes, unfortunately. And it's going to be really interesting to hear from Alexi as someone who was there fighting on the front line. Luckily, didn't lose his home or his cousin's home. Luckily, wasn't overtaken by the flames. Yeah, I'm interested to hear from him because that's a really brave and kind of ballsy decision, you know, to not evacuate.
0: Very ballsy. I would call it ballsy.
2: Yeah, let's go with ballsy. I like that. <laughs> that's great. Cool. Up next is your interview with Alexi then. I'm stoked.
0: Enjoy, everybody. Hello. This is Aiden, and I'm here with uh, my buddy Alexi, Shuto. We went to elementary school together at Belbo Elementary in the Valley, and we're talking about uh, the fires from uh, last month. So just a little overview. 2018 was the most deadly and destructive year for... Wildfires, they burnt almost 2 million acres across the state and killed 102 people. And the Woolsey fire was the one that started in Thousand Oaks or Malibu. It burnt almost 100,000 acres, uh, forced more or almost uh, 300,000 people to evacuate, and killed at least two to three people. And Alexi had a front row seat to the fire. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, what's up? <laughs>
0: This is (laughs) Uh, how
1: I welcome myself
3: to the show. Yeah.
0: So, um, your cousin Jesse lives in Agora Hills, which is a little bit outside of the borders of what we're considering the valley for the conversation. But it's the closest that the fire really got to the valley. I think it creeped over maybe into West Hills, but um, that was where a lot of the flames were concentrated. And you were at Jesse's, you fought, you, you held off the fire with a, garden, with a garden hose. With a
1: garden hose. Really, really crappy garden hose. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, Thursday, Thursday afternoon, my cousin had called me and said, Hey, um, there's these fires that are kind of, kind of far away. I don't think it's going to affect us, but potentially we might have to evacuate later tonight. This has happened before. It might be just a scare, but I think we'll be okay. And I said, Listen, if you need my help, call me. I'm around. I'm not working calls me later that night and goes, Hey, the fires are much closer than everyone thought. My dad is asking to help me evacuate everything because we're worried that it's actually might, it might actually get to the house. So when I get the phone call, I'm expecting to just help evacuate some stuff and then get out of there. So I, I roll up in, in jeans and some vans and a sweatshirt, not expecting that a couple hours from now, I'm going to be
0: 10 feet away from 30 foot flames yeah so wait, what was it like when you got to the house because it's kind of a like rural part of agora it's in the like canyon area um it's not like the suburbs of right northridge
1: yeah no he lives he lives in an area called old agora which is which is right off chesborough off the 101 um what's, what's his address <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he loves when he has visitors, people he'd never have met before in his life. But um, it was, you You kind of drive over the hill and you're just about to exit and you see this orange glow like 30 miles away and you're like, oh my God, like this is, this is going to be an intense fire. But you, you don't realize that it's getting closer to the house. You just see this glow and you're like, wow, this is crazy. So so we're in this really nice area, it's it's this whole area is everyone has a horse, everyone has stables and large amounts of property, and it's just a very old, secluded area. Yeah.
0: Did you help evacuate mm-hmm. Jesse's so, livestock? Yeah.
1: So we so we get there and we have a trailer waiting, and and we evacuated both of his horses, his three goats. Um, my uncle works in film, so he has three sound trailers that we that. That we got out of there. We got his boat out of there. Everything that was on wheels, we got out immediately. Um, And so Jesse stayed at the house to help pack everything up. I went with my uncle to drive all the boats and strap them down and put them in this parking lot. Everyone at this point had found this parking lot across the street from the 101 on the other side of the 101, not expecting the fire to jump. So we're like, this is fine. It's not going to jump the 101. This is a safe place for us. Did you see it jump? No, we were we were too busy fighting. It was in the middle of us fighting that when it jumped. Okay.
0: So we didn't. So see you it guys anymore. got the the animals and everything on wheels out. Right. And then, at what point was it like we're staying? What was the decision to say we're gonna stay?
1: Well, we once we evacuate, once we got everything out of there, just as a precaution, we we threw the drone up to see how far the fire was. Was the fire coming towards us? Was it going around us? What was happening? And we didn't see anything. We ended up losing the drone 15 minutes later.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. Right. Because
1: right. <laughs> we threw it up with half battery and the winds were bad. And it just kind of just wanted <laughs> to do its own thing. Um, so we ended up finding it three days later, miraculously. But we lost it. So we were going up to certain places. And we got really close to the fire trying to see which direction it was going. And at that point, the winds were... We're pretty heavy there, probably 30, 35 mile an hour gusts. Were there
0: any, um, like water dropping helicopters in that not immediate
1: no, no, no. area? So they're not allowed to use fixed wing at night. Okay. And they're only allowed to use very specific helicopters even at all at night. Yeah. Um, and that's just precautionary just in case they can't see something at night or something happens. Um, so we were kind of on our own. So we, so once we delivered their last trailer, we went back to the house, we did one more sweep and it looked like the fire was going completely around the house. So we decided just as precautionary, we'll, we'll wet down all the trees cause there's, hundred year old oak trees yeah. all over agora yeah there's a couple of my uncle's backyard that leads right to the backyard that leads to like over the house right the so oak
0: f- trees can survive but they go up really quick they go
1: up and they burn for a long time because yeah, they're super thick like there was after the fire hit we were putting out a couple oak trees for three or four days afterwards because they would just burn all night and they'd wow. spark up in the morning and we'd have to go and put them out again yeah um so we ended up wiping these trees down, watering these trees, and all of a sudden there was this big spark up right down in the valley right below the house, and we're like, okay, that's coming to the house. We're staying. And we, did, we didn't really – just. my cousin and I just jumped the fence. We each took two did hoses. Jesse's dad leave? He wanted th- want to get his wife out. He wanted to make sure that everything was safe. So I think that they, they – we actually – we don't know where they went in the first like hour or two. Um, I think he just wanted to make sure everyone was safe everyone had evacuated that need to evacuate, so Jesse and I were fighting um we were we were trying to wet everything down and and by that point, it's like if we stop fighting right now, if we just pack up and go, the house is gonna go up. yeah, so it was probably the fire probably hit our house around ten ten thirty eleven, and then we didn't stop fighting until maybe
0: Seven or, or all you had was a garden hose or two. We had
1: two garden hoses, but they were made of like this synthetic mesh, stretchy, right? The material stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is great for gardens. Like it's a such a perfect hose. Very compactable. But anytime a hot ember touched it, the whole hose would just explode. Super flammable. It yeah. would just go up, and we would just lose water pressure. And we had extensions on it, so we kept we had we each had like hundred and fifty feet of hose, and by the end of it, we had like twenty five feet left. Wow. Um, Jesse, so what was like
0: the the strategy for wetting stuff down? Was it to like, I mean, obviously, just misting stuff isn't going to h- hold off right flame. So were you drenching stuff, or you just kind of letting it flood? We and... were
1: drenching stuff, and luckily, the hoses like right at the top of the hill as it was cresting. I mean, no joke; these were like thirty, forty foot like heat walls. Yeah, like flames were going, and there was little flame tornadoes because the winds were blowing so heavy. And you're watching this and you're like, oh shit, like I've seen this in a movie. Yeah. Like I, we've seen was that. Was the whole trip. area just hot? It was just hot. It was hot and it was smoky and we didn't have masks because we it's weren't prepared too. for it and it was dark and it was just like, and this is what I tell everyone like watching it and being in the middle of it, it was beautiful. Like the look of it, the, the sound of the fire cracking, like fire is 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 so loud when you're surrounded by a lot of it. Yeah, it just sounds like this monster that's like growling and it's slowly coming towards you. And fire, like I've always loved fire, and just like seeing it that up close, is like oh shit, like this is beautiful, but it's so like it was just like incredibly scary. Yeah, and at no point, like at some point, I'm like I'm if I feel like I'm gonna get hurt, I'll probably run away, or not run away, but like. I'm going to go back to the fire alarm and go back to the house and then work my way that
0: way. And at no point did was there I feel like that. Was there a way to get off the property at any moment or were you kind of, you guys, so
1: we were completely, we were almost completely surrounded every ex We had two exits to leave my uncle's house. One of them leads to a one lane bridge that ended up catching on fire and falling out. Yeah. So people we saw have, photos of that, right? So we only had one exit. And that exit was closed down because there were fires trapping everyone in. So even if we wanted to leave, we yeah. couldn't physically get our cars out. Like we were just in the middle of this fire circle. Yeah. Um and so we just kept we just kept pushing and we, we had these little hoses and we were hitting areas and we, we were able to keep everything to a line. Um and the winds were so strong that we were fighting and embers would fly behind us and catch the stuff behind us on fire. So we'd have to run behind that and put that out and then continue to work forward. So we were, constant, there was a constant battle back and forth between where it was safe and where it wasn't safe. And it was constantly changing and we had saved. So the next, so we, we ended up after like nine hours or something or eight hours of fighting these fires, we ended up going inside, sleeping on the hardwood floor for like a half hour, just completely passed out from exhaustion. Wake up. We we take a shower. We lost power, so we had to take cold showers, which is
0: the most terrible thing you've ever had to do. But was it was it that bad? Because it was super hot outside.
1: Yeah, uh, awful, awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stay like you're talking yourself. They're like, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Yeah, I just fought this this wildfire in the back, and I'm complaining yeah. about a cold shower, but. We ended up leaving to go get breakfast the next morning because everything was smoldering for the most part. The fire department, we had talked to them. They're like, it's going to smolder for the
0: next couple of days. Just be aware of it. Wait, so what happened when the fire department actually showed so up? So
1: the fire department came. The sun was up. Or it was slowly starting to crest over the hill. Um, we were just like, oh, shit, they're here. Uh, we're done, though. So, like, what now? And I went to them, and they're like, you guys Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we, we fought this all night. And they're like, do you have any exit strategies? I said, just where I jumped over the fence, like, do you have another one? I said, no. He's like, always have two forms of exits when you're fighting wildfires. I said, cool. Like, if I'm in class, I will <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, Yeah, <laughs> Cool, yeah. let me just write when that I down When I take the fireman <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> and he started walking away. I said, you, can you help me blast this area because there's still some hub embers? He's like, no, it's just going to keep pushing. No, that's
0: kind of a waste of water. Right,
1: <laughs> totally. And I think that's what they were trying to realize is that, this thing was 0% contained. It's only growing bigger, and it's only becoming stronger. They have to realize that they have to be water-conscious, or else they're just going to use all the water yeah. in the whole city. So we had had it contained mostly in our area. Um, and they would do spot checks over the next four days, and they would they help us put out some bigger trees that we couldn't put out with normal hoses that our hoses couldn't even reach. Um, but, I mean, it was... It was a hell of a trip. They they want to help, but they realize that the civilians that were there to help with little hoses that were containing it for the most part around their area, and they realized that we were able to do the job ourselves.
0: Yeah. That's pretty crazy. <laughs>
1: it was crazy. It was it was a hell of a thing. And my brother and my, my sister-in-law kept saying I was an idiot and for doing that and putting myself in harm's way. And they're like my sister-in-law is like um, like, have you ever thought about being like a, a first responder, like a firefighter or something? And I go, I, I don't know why. She goes, because there's something in your brain that doesn't turn on when you're in dangerous situations, and you shouldn't be in those situations. And I go, oh, cool, that's that's fun. Um, <laughs> nice stab. Yeah, just uh, my heart hurts a little bit, but it was. I think when I was in there, I'm like. I'm going to put myself in like, I have burns on my legs and I had a couple burns on my arms from embers flying and like holes in my pants and in my shoes. And, and I was, I was literally watering my legs and my feet to make sure that they wouldn't burn, um, even more. And I, and I'm thinking this is a house that I grew up in. It's not my house, but this is my family's house and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that it doesn't go up. Yeah. um, and that's and that's what we did. And we held it back, and we saved two other houses next to us. Um, it leaked onto their prop. The fires leaked onto their property, and they weren't home. They evacuated because they listened to the sheriff. And we put out fires in their house. And the next door neighbor, a few days later, once everyone started to come back in, uh, we started getting more help. So it was when the fire happened. It was me, my cousin, and one of his neighbors. A day and a half later, almost everyone had returned. So we had like 10, 15 people trying to put up fires and with chainsaws and, and hoses and buckets. And in Agora, this whole area is heavily protected. The oak trees are heavily protected. So any other time, if there wasn't a fire and, there's, and you're cutting down oak trees, it's like a federal offense. You're in prison. You're serving jail time. Right. There's a lot of money. And some of these limbs were just on fire, and we had we had started cutting stuff down. And one of my cousin's neighbors is a sheriff. Also, he goes, "You guys have 100% permission to cut down whatever you need to
0: to make sure this stuff doesn't spread." Wow, which was which was crazy. Well, but- that's part of. I mean, that's a whole other. It's a whole other topic about the fires, <laughs> but there's this controversial conversation about the conservation of of these at-risk areas because, you know, what happened in Canada, I believe, like, a few years ago. There was that fire that got totally out of control, did, did similar things to what it did in up, up north, in yeah. northern California, but it turned this town into a ghost town. And the conversation after was, like, well, a lot of those trees that ended up being fuel for the fire were dead, and nobody, like, conservationists said, no, keep them up, just let nature do its thing and you know safety people are saying no because if something happens this is just going to get out of control. I mean we we took we we take full responsibility for the fire because
1: we weren't raking it because the president said that if if we raked the forests and these wooded areas then it wouldn't have happened so our bad (laughs) for not raking the outside. Um, Yeah it's I I can agree to a certain extent where there's just so much, but there's just so much land for, for that to be covered and taken care of where it's, I mean, I was watching these crazy documentaries after that on, on firefighting, what they do and how they do it and, um, how they do controlled burns throughout, yeah. throughout the year Yeah, that they do, they burn all this stuff down in a very controlled manner. They have full control over it, but they try to get ahead of any kind of wildfire that could happen. Yeah. So that at least some areas are already burned. So when the fire gets to them, it slowly starts to die out. But yeah. there's just so much land for that to happen that we're gonna we're gonna miss some. Yeah. Know? I mean, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. But um, is that something you
0: think about in the future of being a, fo- a volunteer firefighter? Totally. I mean, it was such it was such a rush. Because I mean, they have reserves, right? Mm-hmm. Similar to the police department. Yeah. I mean, that
1: they're they were asking for there's places that you could go and, and you can help firefighters out. And, and like, as soon as I did that, I started looking at gear and, and what to wear and what to bring and what I can do. And it was just such a rush that it was like, I have, I've always had a big respect for, for fire and paramedic. But I think after that, it was just like, these guys are here to save lives. Yeah. And we were listening to the news and watching TV and, there are trucks coming from 600 miles away, coming to help. Like, we were seeing fire trucks in Agora Hills. Canada. Yeah. Canada always comes down. I mean, we, we always use their, their super scooper. We have, they have two planes that they bring, the yellow ones that you always see. Yeah, the Canadair. The Canadairs. Um, and we always use them. Canada is just like, oh, you need, oh, yeah, fires here. <laughs> take them. Um, and we, we were seeing stuff in Agora, cities that we've never even heard of. We're like, where are you guys from? Like, oh we're 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 in Arizona or Nevada or something. We yeah. came down to come help. We're like, holy shit. Cool. Like we just had it was such a cool thing seeing how much support we had from yeah. everywhere around us where everyone's there people like there were certain engines and, and departments who were volunteering to come out and they were like, Please let us come out and help. Yeah. Like we have we have the ability, we have the equipment, we want to help.
0: Yeah that's really cool yeah um one last thing has did the did seeing the fire up that close uh make you think about like fires in the future it, getting really close to the valley like we you and I live a couple streets away from each other but we're in a part of the valley that I don't believe we'll ever be at a huge risk of any type of wildfire because it's suburbs it's big roads and cement all over the place. But did it give you any thought of like what it's going to be like the next time this happens? Um, Yeah.
1: What you said was, I don't, I don't think our houses are ever going to be in danger, but I think that my uncle's house, every time there's a fire could always potentially be in danger. Cause there's still a lot of trees that didn't go up. Yeah. Um, There's still fuel to burn. Um, And so because I had just being in that, I just felt, like, I had a responsibility. I'm an able bodied person who has the ability to help where necessary. Yeah. And saving these houses and being in this situation and having this kind of no fear personality when it comes to stuff like this, I, I it's like the next time this happens, I will be able, I'm gonna buy all the prep necessary gear. Yeah. So, when it does happen again, I can go and assist where yeah. possible. I, I think that because I'm able to, I think I have a responsibility to. And I and I feel like because I've experienced it once and I was so close to it and I, I feel the ramifications from it and we we got out on the positive side with our house still standing. But there are some houses next to us that weren't so lucky and and people come home to just dirt lots because their house has gone up. And if only someone was there, maybe with a hose or something to help, even even a garden hose.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's where I learned that you don't have to have, like, a police fire hose to do something. Is that something you guys are going to invest in? Yeah, yeah. In that that commercial? I think that the very next day... So my uncle's house is rated. He had put fire hose rated pipes in the backyard. The really big ones? The big ones, just in case. Um, But the output was the normal garden hose. So he's going to update everything on his end. He's going to get one of those pumps for the pool so you can use the pool water with the big hoses. I think it's one of those things where it's like, you never think it's going to happen to you. Yeah. And then when it does and you come through it to the other side, you're like, all right, how am I going to prepare for the next one? Yeah. So um, I'm ready for it. If it happens again, I'll be more prepared. Um, I hope it doesn't happen, but I mean, it's gonna happen it's gonna happen So <laughs> we all know it's gonna right, happen exactly i mean hopefully the fire hoses don't burn out at one point we were so i had my hose had completely blown up um i used were, the only thing i could find was one fire extinguisher and i thought i could put out the entire hill with one fire <laughs> 45 seconds later i realized that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna do anything and my last option was this little metal using
0: one. fire extinguishers in those situations isn't great either because right. if they heat up like to yeah. a certain, i mean i almost extent. threw
1: it into the fire and let it explode and let it put out itself yeah. but i didn't want to die yeah uh, and the third thing once i finally realized i had nothing left i had no hose i had no water i had nothing i found this metal hose or this metal um this metal shovel and i'm like i'm just gonna beat the shit out of the fire <laughs> so i have a picture of me i have some video of me just smacking the fire with with the shovel
0: yeah
1: and it going out and me being like oh my god this!" i is just working. found a new way to this put out this so for like an hour and a half i'm just smacking fire <laughs> on the ground with the shovel and i look like such an idiot but it's like whatever i could possibly do
0: to yeah. put this out i'm yeah. gonna do it cool yeah all right thanks for talking yep see ya all right <laughs> later <laughs> bye
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this week. There are a few people we really need to thank. Uh, this podcast would not be possible without Tom Stasinus. He mixed and mastered this podcast and made it sound as beautiful as it ended up sounding. Thank you also to Monica Niehaus who designed the logo for our podcast. Again, this would not be possible without you. Thank you so much
0: you can check us out online at our website at sfvalleyproject.com and please follow us on twitter and instagram at sfvalleyproject
2: thank you so much again for tuning in and we will talk to you next month